0: Welcome to Zoo Podcast, the almost unauthorized music podcast featuring you 2 and the wave of music from the 1980s. I'm your host, Kevin S., and we're going to dive in again. This is Episode 8. Let's go! In Zoo Podcast Episode 8, it's Part 2 of Under a Blood Red Sky at 40. We're going to talk about the old album, compare it to the new release that came out on Black Friday, 2023 is the audio different is it better and we're going to talk about the gorgeous inserts for the new 40th anniversary edition of under a blood red sky from U2. we'll also got to get back into the sphere what's going on in las vegas all that and more coming up next on zoo podcast episode eight hello friends and welcome to zoo podcast episode eight and I have on my recording studio desk a brand new, gorgeous copy of U2's Under a Blood Red Sky 40th Anniversary Edition. And I am opening it up right now, and it is a thing of beauty. Wow. Before we get into everything about this album, I want to wish everyone in the United States a very happy Thanksgiving. I hope you had a wonderful weekend. I Hope you watched lots of football. I personally watched The Dog Show. This is a, a zoo podcast tradition in this family. You know, I always root for certain breeds. We might have to talk about that on a separate non-musical episode of Zoo Podcast, but I hope everyone in the USA had a great Thanksgiving. I hope everyone visiting was able to have fun, visit their loved ones, and enjoy what we haven't really been able to enjoy completely. I still value that so much. I still think that three years ago, we were locked down. Even in 2021 and 2022, it was still, you know, it wasn't quite back to normal. For me, this was the first Thanksgiving since the pandemic that really felt like the old days. It was my favorite Thanksgiving in quite some time. It's really a wonderful thing that we can be thankful for those people in our life. The tangible things like this album that I'm about to review for you, in the big scheme of things, it it means nothing. We're very fortunate that we can be thankful for things like having a band like U2 in our lives, having other bands like Depeche Mode and New Order in our lives, Duran Duran in our lives, and so many others from the 80s and the 90s that still are out there playing. So I'm thankful for that, and I'm thankful for all of you for listening in. So let's get to this album. I'm going to scan this over right now and try to describe to you what I'm looking at here and what the differences might be. Well, there's there's an obvious cosmetic difference right on the front cover. We have the traditional silhouette of our guy Bono holding the flag, the white flag. But instead of a, a kind of a grayish silver logo that says you two live under a blood red sky in quotes... There was some genius person who changed it to black. U2 is in black instead of silver, and Under a Blood Red Sky is in black instead of silver. And the word live, which appears after U2, is just in white with no silver you know, background attempting to highlight it. This is a vast improvement, guys. I love this. First of all, it matches the theme of the silhouette. It's almost like U2 Under a Blood Red Sky is also silhouetted. Your eyes kind of see that as you're looking at this front cover. And then as I turn it to the spine, it says U2 Live Under a Blood Red Sky that you can actually read. Now, I say that in jest, but I am just sick and tired of people putting print on the sides of albums that is difficult, if not impossible, to read. And as I'm looking at the 2008 version, which I also have on the recording studio desk here at Shamrock Studios, that is in a silver, small font. Yeah, yeah. Tough to read. Are you going to pick that out from a distance? Absolutely not. No chance. Now, because I am who I am, and for my friends out there who know me, yep, yep, you know who you're dealing with. I also have an original 1983 copy of Under a Blood Red Sky vinyl, where the cover says mini LP in the top right. Be still my heart. It says special low price. Oh my gosh. And I do remember that in 1983, in November, when it came out, It was $4.98. In some places, you could find it for $3.98. Oh my goodness. But the 2008 and the original, of course, are not gatefold sleeves. The 2023 version is a gatefold sleeve. And I'm opening it right now as we speak. God, look at that. It is a beautiful photo that I've seen before, to be honest. This is a photo as if you were sitting or, in this case, standing during U2's set at Red Rocks, almost to the top of the general admission area in Red Rocks. For those that have been to Red Rocks, it is one of the most amazing experiences that I have ever had. But my dream of going there began with Under a Blood Red Skies release in November of 1983. This photograph, where you can see it, artistically a little bit fuzzy, but you can see the uh, geological formation of the rocks behind the stage. Um, You can see a little bit on the sides with the tree formations. The crowd is in place in front. And there's you two on stage. You can clearly see Edge. You can clearly see Adam and Larry. And where is Bono? Well, I believe Bono, trying to find him, Oh, there he is. He's over on the left-hand side of the stage. And again, Be Still My Heart, I see this white flag, or a couple of white flags, right behind Edge's area. And then Edge's uh, spot where they used to have the keyboard. The songs in the set from the war tour that required piano were I Fall Down, October, and New Year's Day. And ironically, they were one, two, three right in a row. So this is beautiful, friends. Now, in the, in the left-hand side sleeve, there are a couple of items. Opening this up, right? this is so exciting. So anyway, the, the, the gatefold photograph I've seen before. It was in the 2008 release in the booklet, and it was right in the middle of the booklet, so you could see it a spread over two pages. Okay, so the inserts on the left-hand side of uh, you know the gatefold uh, opening is um, kind of an informational one-page, 12 by 12. I, don't, I don't, can't call this paper. This is like a high-quality printing paper. And it gives the track listing. It gives the original credits from 1983. And then gives the 2023 edition credits. We're going to talk about this right now. Remastering Directed by The Edge. Photography by Greg Wigler and Anton Corbin. And next to Anton Corbin's name, it says lyric insert, Creative director, Gavin Friday. Art direction and design, Sean McGrath. Management, principal management, Dublin, Nadine King, Kelly McNamara. On the other side are the lyrics for the eight songs on the album. There's also a poster, which on, it's dual-sided. So on one side of the poster, it has a expanded image of the front cover. And on the other side is a black and white photograph of the band on stage at Red Rocks. Beautiful, beautiful. I love the black and white photo, guys. I'm very fond of that. Now, on the other side of the right-hand side, if you will, of the gatefold sleeve has another opening where the record is located. The record is housed in a sleeve when you pull it out that has photographs on it. The first two that I'm seeing is of Bono. And The Edge in action, so to speak. Oh, just beautiful. Love these men. On the other side, as I'm flipping this over, oh my goodness, Adam with his curly hair playing his bass. Oh, Lord. Now, for the ladies out there that like Larry quite a bit, and I know of quite a few of these, I'm friends with with some Larry people. Um... I need you to brace yourselves because there is a a photograph of Larry sitting behind the drum kit. And, uh, well, he is uh, smiling and the dimples are showing. Yep, that's the headline. I mean, if you're going to take one thing away from this entire podcast, the photographic insert for Under a Blood Red Sky 40th Anniversary Edition has Larry smiling, looking to his right, and you can see the dimples. Oh, Lord. <laughs> oh, okay, let's just let's just let that wash over us, okay? <sighs> yeah. I'm thinking of a few people that I know are having a moment right now. And um you know who you are. So I have just I have just um pulled the vinyl out of the sleeve got a few dust specks on it this is the most gorgeous red vinyl that i've ever seen in my life the label is red and it has the logo u2 under a blood red sky in black so this is all i would describe it as very readable the contrast is really well done and then there is a number at the bottom of this hmm very interesting i don't know what that number means So it appears right below the track listing. And as I look at side one, it says, Gloria, 11 o'clock, TikTok, I will follow in Party Girl. And then the number 5817464, whatever that means. I don't know what it means. I'm going to have to phone a friend. That's (laughs) that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to phone a friend and see if they know. Um, The same number appears on the other side below the four tracks from side two. Okay, guys. I know you've been waiting for this because this is how we roll here at Zoo Podcast. If someone deserves some crap, we're going to give it to them. And here it comes. The back cover of this new vinyl is completely bullshit. All it shows is the track listing. What's gone is the perfect back cover of Under a Blood Red Sky, used on the vinyl in the 80s, but also used on the vinyl release from 2008. Why mess with it? And that are those beautiful fuzzy photos, one taken from the helicopter, where you can see the flames around the stage. You can see the rock in the mist there at Red Rock's amphitheater. And there's pictures of The Edge, Bono, Larry, and Adam, in action, along with the track listing and the credits on the back. Oh boy, this is a serious minus of all the good things that they did internally on the gatefold and on the front cover. This is such a serious, negligent omission that I'm going to say it takes out everything good that they did. I loved that back cover. It captured my imagination. And I don't think whatever they publicly say could ever make me believe that they had a legitimate reason for doing it. That is a serious minus. And it's going to affect this rating for the entire vinyl physical copy. I do not like that. Man, I I am gritting my teeth right now. I'm actually mad. Because those photographs, boy, they mean the world to me. I mean, looking at them in the 80s, I just thought, oh my gosh, look at that mystical, magical place. Red Rocks, Colorado. Wow. I have a great expression for things like this. It doesn't take Einstein to know that you don't mess with perfection when you have it. And that back cover... Was perfection. Somebody internally decided to mess with it. They get an official zoo podcast thumbs down. I would really recommend to you all listening out there instead of going out and buying this vinyl, I'd get the digital version because they clearly weren't thinking of us in the art on that back cover. For other things, yes, but on the back cover, no. And to have such an iconic photograph from Red Rocks taken out, (laughs) it brings the artistic team into the crosshairs of suspicion. There's no legitimate reason why. So take it for what you will, friends. They did a good job with the front cover with the gatefold, but the back cover is a thumbs down. The conclusion here from Zoo Podcast, the cosmetic improvements for the front cover, the gatefold photograph inside, the poster, the insert, and the pictures on the sleeve that covers the vinyl, 10 out of 10. The Zoo Podcast rating for the back cover is 0 out of 10. I hope they're listening. Zero is not a number that you want to have. Next to your name. I have to say that they earned it and they deserve it. Ending on a much nicer note for you too. The red vinyl itself is 10 out of 10. Well done. My overall rating for the cosmetic improvements, I could say incomplete here. I'm so upset and disappointed about the back cover, but I'm going to rate the whole thing, the exterior, A 6.5 out of 10. It demonstrates a lack of understanding of what the fans love. I wonder, out loud, when was the last time they consulted with some fans about what they would want to see on an Under a Blood Red Sky remaster, especially one of this importance, the 40th anniversary? I have to believe that never occurred. Coming up next on Zoo Podcast, we're going to talk about the music the audio the sound that comes out of your speakers when you put the vinyl on your turntable we're going to talk about all that next coming up on zoo podcast stay tuned hi friends it's kevin from zoo podcast and if you're planning on being in las vegas february 15th 16th 17th and 18th my friends hollywood you two are playing the incredible venue at the hard rock cafe on the southern strip there in las vegas Don't miss them. It is an off night for U2. So there's no other concert going on except for Hollywood U2 at Hard Rock. February the 16th, third floor at Hard Rock Cafe. And arrive early because Hard Rock is an amazing venue that has tremendous food and friendly hospitality. I really liked it there when I went. And the show from Hollywood U2 was absolutely incredible. Again, that's Hollywood U2, February 16th. At Hard Rock, Las Vegas. Welcome back to Zoo Podcast. We're going to talk now about the music and the audio mix. What all of us can take away from this new audio. Now, I've listened to it five or six times since it came out. I've listened to the record multiple times. I've listened to the digital audio multiple times. I've also compared each track on the new digital audio to the 2008 digital audio, which Spotify still has up on their site. So if you want to compare the new to the old, that's a great way to do it. Let's take a step back even further from 2008. The 1983 audio was produced for a record. They put it on cassette too you weren't really playing it right next to anything. For example, you weren't really doing it at a mixtape type of situation. Back in 1983, they had no idea that a device like an iPod or an iPhone would be going on. So that was fine, and it's spectacular. The, I have the original 1983 record, and it's wonderful. In 2008, we have to remember what was going on with remixes and remastered audio because of what the industry thought was best. And they thought it was best to produce music in a compressed format. And what they did was they lost that high fidelity. They just compressed it and it became louder for people who were listening to music on earbuds. Yep, it was that serious. In this new remaster in 2023, I will paint in broad strokes and say that that has been rectified. The music doesn't sound airy. It sounds focused. It sounds very precise. The drums and the bass, oh my goodness. You can hear Larry's bass drum in the original recording and in the 2008 version. In the 2023 version, I feel Larry's bass drum. I feel it. I'm playing it pretty loud to be honest, but I still feel it. The snare sounds like a real snare drum. This is going to be a bit of a critique here, but on the 1983 version and honestly, the 19 uh, excuse me, the 2008 version is just louder. It's really thin. It doesn't have substance. It doesn't have that snap. Now, anyone who's out there like my friend Steve who plays with Hollywood U2, That knows the snap of a snare drum. That is what you want on the recording. Mission accomplished. That is what I'm hearing when I'm listening to this remaster. And just reminded myself to tell you, none of us have the same ears. We're all different. So we're going to hear this differently. But what I'm hearing is wonderful drums. Wonderful bass. Oh my gosh. The bass sounds wonderful fabulous. Finally, it took 40 years to get Adam Clayton's bass sounding the way I wanted it to. I'm so happy about this. The edges part on guitar is still there, but it's mixed properly now, whereas before it probably wasn't. (laughs) It probably featured him a little too much instead of having the four band members equally in the mix. That's what I'm really hearing here. I am loving this. There's a couple of interesting parts of the album because, friends, I've, I've listened to this album throughout my life for 40 years now. So hearing it and knowing what I'm looking for, it all just springs out of this new remaster. Everything seems fresh and deliciously focused on being a band, being together. Maybe they looked at, If the timing was off a little bit, hmm, you know, they have artistic license to fix things like that. The vocals on Gloria, first of all, we've just got to say that Gloria is flawless perfection. The audio is stunning. On the original 1983 version, I used to think when Larry came in at the beginning that I I, ha- I almost felt like turning it up because I couldn't quite hear it well enough. Not anymore. Couldn't be happier. Bono's voice, that recording at Red Rocks in Colorado is one of the most magical recordings you could have ever dreamed of. Moving on to 11 o'clock TikTok, I hear the guitar better. Uh, this time, again, what I mentioned for the earlier uh, comment on the drums and bass follow through, it's more focused. It seems like whether there's less echo or less reverb, whatever effect you want to apply to that, what you're hearing might be an echo or a lightness or someone's interpretation back in the 80s to make it feel like a live concert. Well, you know, (laughs) to each his own. If you're going to stand up in today's world of high-fidelity audio, you need to have everything in there. And I think the Edge in this remaster shows everything that he's learned over the years. That is really what is showcased here. Think about those hours that he spends, the countless hours that Edge spends in the studio looking at the music. You know, and part of it is because he cares about the music, but part of it is because he cares about us. He truly does he cares about what we are hearing that's a really special guy i gotta say he has said publicly that it's a privilege to play for this audience every single night no wonder i'm a fan of his it's a privilege to be a fan of a musician like the edge who cares so much and i'll extrapolate that out for larry adam and bono But The Edge is the person, weeks on end, countless hours doing this. Time where he could be off doing things. He's doing that instead. Huge kudos to The Edge for this remaster. I'm very, very happy with it. Couple of tracks that I want to mention. The drums, again, are very noticeable. At the beginning of Sunday, Bloody Sunday, Larry's introduction features the snare drum. So when you listen to this, be sure to listen for that snap in that drum beat, the all-time classic drum beat from Larry Mullen Jr. But don't stop there, because when Bono starts the vocal and Larry's hitting the kick drum and he's keeping rhythm with the hi-hat, you know, with the sticks, he's hitting that kick drum with his foot. This time, it's amazing. Play it loud, friends. It's really spectacular. So now we've got to talk about the Electric Co. Mm. The Electric Co. Is the song. When I heard that for the first time in November of 1983, it just magically happened. You two became my all-time favorite band. There was something about Edge's guitar at the beginning where he, he has that muted string, and he's got that urgency, you know, the like that, and Bono's singing that vocal. The band comes in, oh, and the intensity, you know, despite the unfortunate circumstance of the, the snippet that had to be removed, what remains is spectacular. Oh, boy, we're going to have to talk about this. Everyone, refill your coffee, your tea, or whatever you're drinking right now. Yayi, beer, wine. We've got to face this head on. So have the proper beverage. We at Zoo Podcast prefer Dunkin' Donuts coffee. It's our unofficial sponsor. So let's just cover this real quick. On the, (laughs) on the, whoops, my coffee. Oh, don't spill that precious fluid. No. Oh, no, no, no. Thank you, Dunkin' Donuts Whew, boy, that was close a close call here at Zoo Podcast. We don't want to be spilling coffee here at Shamrock Studios. No, 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 no. Lots of expensive equipment here. Adam T., my tech consultant, would freak out if he knew there was a coffee spill. Whew, man. We've got to talk about the 1983 version of Electrico because it included this magical interlude of the edge had his guitar feeding back a little bit, and he was hitting it with his fist to try to get it to feed back more, and he could control that. It was really pretty cool how he is able to manage that. One of the very interesting things for me is that Edge used a different guitar in Germany, and the Germany version is the one that appears on the official release of the Under a Blood Red Sky audio. He used a different guitar as opposed to the Red Rocks concert. I can hear the difference. I mean, it is clearly different. So, the two guitars in question. At Red Rocks during Electrico, the Edge used his black Stratocaster with the maple neck. Mm. And in Germany, at Rock he used the Gibson Explorer. I could talk for hours about the Gibson Explorer. He had a 1976 edition of the Gibson Explorer, which some of you out there, I'm sure, are aware of. The 1976 version of this beautiful musical instrument, Gibson made it a little bit different. They sound effing amazing. (laughs) Let's just put that out there. (laughs) Now, just to... Get rid of all the people out there that subscribe to conspiracy theories that maybe something happened to the Explorer at Red Rocks that he couldn't use it. No, no. The Edge was using the Fender Stratocaster for Electrico up to a certain point in the tour. There's videos out there of him using the Fender Stratocaster at the US Festival, which was in late May 1983. And, of course, there is a video of Red Rocks where he uses the Fender Stratocaster during the Electric Co. So, where he changed it, I don't know. But I do know this. He used the Gibson Explorer in Germany. Let's go back to this interlude that I've been talking about. Bono did two snippets that were all-time classics, both of which are from Broadway musicals. The first could be one of the most famous Broadway songs of all time from West Side Story, America. And he sang a little bit of the lyric, but mostly it was the melody. And then he did a snippet from Send in the Clowns. Both of these all-time classic Broadway songs were written by Stephen Sondheim. Now, having other people's lyrics appear in music as a snippet or recording the song itself is not something new in 1983. As a matter of fact, Frank Sinatra had re-recorded Send in the Clowns in 1973. When you do something like that, all you have to do is get your copyright lawyer involved and clear it. There's an expression called clear it. But what you're doing is you're you're getting formal permission to use that person's art in your art. Okay. And what that formally does, it says, okay, uh, the person who wrote the song says, okay, I I approve this. You can can use my song on your recording. And usually it's a formality. I would describe it as kind of a routine thing as routine as signing your name on a check. The tragic thing here is that that wasn't done. And the timeline here, there was certainly enough time to do it between the close of the war tour in August and the release of this album in November. But I have to imagine that things are moving quickly. So the the lesson for you two here, in my personal opinion, is that They needed to take a good hard look at their organization and say, hey, we need to slow down here. This cannot happen again. The ruling was a financial penalty, but the more painful ruling was that they had to remove that snippet and that it could never be used in any subsequent version of Under a Blood Red Sky. And that is why, to this day, we do not have it in all of these subsequent versions. Now, before the ruling happened, a bunch of these albums got out there. I had one. That's the version that I bought in 1983. (laughs) It was a tragic casualty of my mom and my aunt's famous garage sale, where my mother came up to me and said, Kevin, guess what? I got rid of all those musty old albums in the basement. No, no, please, no. <laughs> I knew what was in there. I knew Under a Blood Sky was in there, gone. There was something much more valuable than that, though. There was a Bruce Springsteen vinyl bootleg from the Darkness on the Edge of Town tour. Oh my gosh. I treasured that. It was, I think there were six vinyls in that bootleg because the concert was three and a half hours long, right? That's, that's Bruce on the Darkness Tour. <laughs> so anyway, all those albums are gone. Fortunately, I had a bunch of albums with me, including my original Joshua Tree album and quite a few others, like Hotel California, the Beatles Red album I had on vinyl, a bunch of others. I'm not angry at my mom. How can you be angry at the person who did everything for you? So thanks, Mom, for everything you did. I laughed about it with her until the very end when she passed in 2017. She loved Bono. She thought he was adorable. As a matter of fact, this is a, the sidebar of all sidebars. Now I'm thinking about my mom. And it's the holidays, so this is bound to happen. It's been almost seven years since she passed away. And In 1983, she gave me the war album on Christmas. And I opened it up, and I'm listening to it in the kitchen. And I I just know she's standing right behind me. She's looking at the photo of the four of them standing in the snow. And she says, Kevin, who's that? And she didn't have to point. I knew exactly who she was talking about. And I said, oh, Mom, that's Bono. He's the singer. And there was a pause. Like, uh uh-oh. She's going to say something. And then my mother blurts out, I like him clean-shaven like that. Wow! (laughs) Mom! Sheesh! So my takeaway, here we are 40 years later from that event happening this Christmas. And Bono had a way of the way that he stood, the way that he looked to communicate. he He's able to communicate that he's a good person, that he's someone that you want to follow, that he's going to lead you someplace good. Mm, I think we all feel that about Bono and about you too. I know I do. I've always felt that. Uh, thank you for going on that little journey with me back 40 years ago. It was Really worthwhile. I have tears in my eyes right now. Whew, boy. It's all good, friends. So the Electrico, I have subsequently found an album that has the snippets still in. I have that right in my record collection today. Oh, boy. It's spectacular. I'm just glad I have it to treasure and listen to every year on November the 22nd. The other song that's worth mentioning, now oh, there's a couple of them well, i got to talk more about. Sometimes I call it Side B, but on the album they listed it as Side 2. New Year's Day in this remaster is better than it's ever been. And here's the reason why. Adam's Bass, oh boy. This is one of the things that drew me into this band in the first place was Adam's Bass. In the 80s, I had these huge speakers that had a, a tweeter, a mid-range, and a subwoofer. I would remove the protective cover from my speakers so that I could watch the speakers move when Adam played the bass. And New Year's Day was the song that I watched the most. (laughs) I could still see it. I could still see it and hear it and feel it. Boom, 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 boom. Oh, my gosh. Just pumping that bass Oh, God, I dreamed about hearing that in person. And when I had the original copy of Under a Blood Red Sky, it just wasn't quite there. I am very happy to report and share with you. I think it is there in this new remaster. I wish I still had those speakers, though. Damn, that would have really been a fun thing. The other thing from New Year's Day is the piano. The piano sounds normal now. It seemed like it was too far back in the mix before. Edge did a great job of bringing that forward without it being too dominant. And guys, as I think about this, that is the whole thing about working on a project like this. The edge doesn't want to damage the energy or the spirit of the performance, but he wants to bring it into the modern day from a sonics perspective. The piano is right up where it should be now, And it sounds amazing. Really, really great stuff. Finally, 40. Oh, 40 when it was played as a rock song. That's the war tour. The war tour, the final song, the sing-along at the end. And the most wonderful thing about this is the song just swells and swells and swells. And you can feel the audience starting to sing in during the second chorus, this was in Germany. So (laughs) to hear thousands of Germans singing in English is no small feat. That just tells you the incredible power of these four people in U2, that they were able to translate that to the audience. And they do that every single night in different ways But it was absolutely amazing for me to listen to that so many times. This version, oh boy, I I can't say enough about this audio. I'm just really, really happy with it. I mean, this is one of my all-time favorite albums. And one that means so much to me because the war tour. To have a document like that and uh, have them take such good care of it really means a lot. In summary, this is a release, if you have a record player, I would recommend don't miss this. Keep in mind, there is a massive disappointment with the complete foolish miss that the artistic team had with the back cover of this album. Omitting those photographs is unforgivable. What am I supposed to wait for the 50th anniversary? I mean, come on. If digital media is your thing, you are in luck because this is not your typical record store day release. It is in digital form right now on Apple and Spotify. I just can't find anything wrong with it. Thank you, Edge. you done good, friend. Next on Zoo Podcast, we're going to have music news for you. We're going to talk about some of the new releases that have happened in October, November, and coming up in December. And we're going to talk about The Sphere in Las Vegas. U2 is scheduled to play there again this coming weekend on the 2nd and 3rd of December. What should people prepare for at these shows? and is the formula 1 nonsense really gone that's next on zoo podcast you are listening to zoo podcast the almost unauthorized music podcast featuring u2 and the wave of music from the 1980s please like and subscribe on apple spotify and overcast welcome back to zoo podcast and in music news the sphere is back u2 is due play the sphere This coming weekend, how did that break go by so quickly? Oh my gosh. It seems like I was just there in mid to late October. Now, I do know some people going. They cannot wait. So let's review this here. For December, U2 is playing The Sphere on December 1st, 2nd, 6th, and 8th, 13th, 15th, and 16th and then in January, the 26th, 27th, and 31st, and then in February, the 2nd, 3rd, 7th, and 9th, and 10th, and then the closing weekend is the 15th, 17th, and 18th. There are some rumors. I ignore the rumors. Maybe they'll add more dates. Will it go into March? Lord knows. When people go out there this time for the December shows, it will be really interesting to see in what state the Formula One construction is, because it is inconceivable that they tore that all down in a week. Is it possible to get rid of all that stuff? I mean, they were building entire roads when I was there, infrastructure everywhere. I think that we're going to see some photos of the Formula One construction still up what they created. It was like they built a whole nother city. Who cares about Formula One? I actually can't stand it. I want to hear the reports coming out from the music. And here's what the Zoo Podcast team, I sat down with Mike, the intern, and said, hey, what do you think is going to happen? He thinks that you 2 is going to look at that middle section of acoustic songs, and they're going to have more surprises for us. I think when you're in the moment, it takes time to see. And the, as they review everything they did, they're going to they're gonna see that the reaction to the songs played from war, including Seconds and Two Hearts at that very special show, was amazing. And my hope is that they continue to play songs from war every night because I love the album. <laughs> I'm joking. That's not all I'm hoping for. I have to put in a word for the war album. That's where I cut my teeth. That's where I became a U2 fan. Would I be wrong in saying I'd love to hear songs from the Unforgettable Fire, like a sort of homecoming? Oh, boy. How about a couple songs from pop in acoustic form? Wouldn't that be something? And then you could even go back and do songs like Out of Control. Hmm, something like Gloria. But they can mix that up. And now that they have this conference, they've had a little bit of time now. You know what they do when there's a break. They work on stuff. They just don't talk about it. I'm hopeful and I'm excited to see all the reports coming in through all the major social media channels and through youtube.com. Now in other music news, We've got to talk about these two releases because I was, I was talking about in previous episodes the releases from Duran Duran and from New Order, and they are spectacular. The Duran Duran album, Dance Macabre, is one of the best from recent memory for them. Um, now, I know that at least a couple of Durannies listen to Zoo Podcast. So, first of all, thank you. I love Duran Duran. It's great to have you listening, but I need your help because I personally think that Dance Macabre is my favorite album that they've put out since All You Need Is Now. All You Need Is Now was just amazing. So is Dance Macabre. I love the album. So I want to hear back from you Durannies out there. Please let me know what your thoughts are the price of these albums, you really got to watch yourself, guys. Uh, More than ever, it's difficult to stay emotionally unattached enough to not fall into the trap of overpaying for a physical version of whatever album you're interested in. I almost fell into that trap, letting my emotions get the better of me, because I love New Order. This Substance 1987 remaster, I listened to it in digital form, and it's Five out of five stars. It's absolutely spectacular. But for the four CD edition, they want $50 for it. I don't know where anyone's line is out there. With all due respect, we can, we can, we do what we can do, right? But it seems to me that $50 is egregious. For me, that's a hard no. I'm not going to pay that. I love lots of bands. And to pay $50 for one release, boy, it better be damn good. I mean, this is damn good, but ah, $50. It's a weird moment in time in the music industry, and especially for consumers, where we have to really, we need to be vigilant about where the music industry's pricing is going. This feels like a money grab. I'm just going to wait I think the prices will go down. As a matter of fact, I just checked it again, and now it's on sale for $35 on the digital place that you buy things. (laughs) So that's a little bit better. Still a lot, but better. I think one of the takeaways that I would share with you as being a music fan since the 1980s, even before that, I was a music fan when I was five years old and I had a little radio. I was so cute back then. Oh boy, I don't know what happened. (laughs) But I had this little radio and I listened to the radio songs and then when I got a little older, like preteen, I got a cassette player and I used to hold the cassette player, press the record button up to the speaker of the radio and I'd record songs in open air. It was really fun. And that's how I got my music. And boy, I'm telling you, the way the costs are going for these CDs and vinyls, it starts to get to a point where it's disappointing. Don't even get me started on the resellers. You know what I mean. You know, the people who buy merch and records with no intention of keeping it for themselves, they want to flip it. That just turns my stomach. We'll have more music news next time. On Zoo Podcast. I want to wish everyone a very happy week as we leave Thanksgiving behind moving forward and into the holiday season. We'll be talking with you in a couple weeks. I'm going to take a little time off and I want to wish all of you a very happy, a very peaceful, and joyful season as we enter the holidays and the month of December. In December, we're going to be talking about here on Zoo Podcast our fondest wishes for 2024. I want to thank everyone for the tremendous feedback I received from my chat with Kelly and PJ, who I just adore. They are wonderful people. That was a joy, and I look forward to doing that again. Don't forget to go out to Kelly and PJ's website octunebaby.com and check out the beautiful prints that Kelly has on imagekind.com. That's all for now. Until next time, friends. Sláinte, this is Zoo Podcast, wishing you the very best. Thank you for listening to Zoo Podcast, the almost unauthorized music podcast featuring you too and the Wave of Music from the 1980s. The reason any podcast has success is because of the listener. You use your time, you listen, you share your thoughts and provide feedback, and I thank you for everything. Until next time, wishing you all peace and love, happiness and health. Please go back out into the world and be kind to each other. We need so much more kindness right now. Zoo Podcast is produced by Kevin S., sound engineering by The Phantom, tech consultation by Adam T., and recorded at Shamrock Studios somewhere west of Boston. Thank you again to our listeners, sponsors, and supporters.